the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996, widely known as HIPAA, is, in its simplest terms, a federal law that created a uniform set of privacy and security standards to protect sensitive health information from being disclosed without the patient's knowledge or consent. But what does it mean to be compliant with HIPAA in the COVID-19 era? And what is HIPAA going to look like if and when things go back to normal? Welcome to the inaugural episode of Mince's Health Law Diagnosed, a podcast dedicated to, you guessed it, health law, as well as health policy and social issues in the healthcare industry. I'm your host, Neely Yolen, and I am so excited to be here today to talk about HIPAA. First, by way of background, Mince is an internationally recognized, multidisciplinary AMLA 100 firm that tackles complex legal issues develop strategies, and drive strategic growth for clients. My health law colleagues and I do work that cuts across a wide variety of practice areas, including corporate and litigation, criminal law, antitrust law, and tax law. We advise hospitals and nursing homes, insurance companies and managed care plans, pharmaceutical companies and pharmacy benefit managers, medical device manufacturers, nonprofit organizations, and more. Check us out on mince.com. Now, while a lot of people may not know exactly what health lawyers do, everyone, from my 80-year-old mother to my 11-year-old daughter, seems to know something about HIPAA, or at least they've heard of it. But what exactly is HIPAA? And now that we're in the midst of a global pandemic, what's changed? Here to tell you all about that is my Boston-based colleague, member, and HIPAA expert extraordinaire, Diane Bork. Diane counsels healthcare clients and other business entities on a broad range of privacy and data security issues, and her work has been featured in a variety of publications, including The Washington Post, Wired, Bloomberg Law, and Law360. Welcome, Diane. Thank you, Neely. I'm so happy to be here. It's so great to have you, Diane. Now, I know we have a lot of covered today, but before we do a deep dive, can you briefly explain to our listeners what HIPAA is and some of the key terms we'll be discussing today? Yes, absolutely. So HIPAA stands for the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act with one P and two A's. HIPAA was a big law that was passed in 1996, and it did a lot of things, but for purposes of today's discussion, We're going to focus on HIPAA's privacy and security provisions, which set a federal standard of privacy protections for health information. Now, interestingly, HIPAA doesn't apply to all health information. For example, you could tell me something about your personal health, and I have no obligation to protect that information or to keep it private because HIPAA doesn't apply to me personally. HIPAA only applies to the following. Healthcare providers who engage in certain standard electronic transactions, basically electronic billing, health plans, and healthcare clearinghouses. These types of entities are called covered entities because they're covered by HIPAA. When health information is held by one of these entities and protected by HIPAA, it's referred to as protected health information or PHI for short. HIPAA can also extend to entities that provide services on behalf of covered entities involving the use or disclosure of protected health information. These entities are called business associates, and they have significant compliance obligations under HIPAA. 
The federal government can enforce HIPAA against business associates and can audit and investigate business associates as well, just like they can covered entities. Examples of business associates are law firms like Mints that may require access to PHI in order to provide legal services to a covered entity. Accountants, claims processors, and IT service providers. These are all examples of business associates that have HIPAA compliance obligations. HIPAA is enforced by the Department of Health and Human Services Office for Civil Rights, or OCR. You may hear me refer to OCR, and you may, you may hear me use terms like covered entity, business associate, BA, or PHI during this podcast. HIPAA speak has creeped into my vocabulary over the years, and it's very difficult to turn off. Diane, it's funny because in my opinion, I think health law comes with the best acronyms. AMCs, MCOs, PBMs, MTALA, MIPA, CARES, but no acronym seems to be more universally recognized than HIPAA, even if it's spelled wrong, as you pointed out. Why do you think that is? I think it's because um, HIPAA really affects everybody at some level, and it's really easy to connect HIPAA to health information. Some of the acronyms that you mentioned are related to complicated healthcare delivery arrangements uh, that most people may not have an opportunity or willingness to relate to. Um, it may also be familiar because HIPAA requires individuals to be educated about the law. So when you go to the doctor, you may receive or see posted on a wall this thing called a notice of privacy practices. This is provided because HIPAA requires providers to provide it and to ensure that patients are aware of how the provider may use and disclose their PHI and their rights with respect to that PHI. The Office for Civil Rights enforces HIPAA very publicly, so that might be another reason why it's familiar to people. For example, large-scale breaches of um, protected health information, or PHI, are reported on the Office for Civil Rights website, which is referred to the Wall of Shame. Uh, there is a lot of media publicity following large-scale data breaches, and all of these things, I think, help to reinforce the idea that HIPAA provides federal protection for your health information. So we keep talking about PHI and health information, but I don't think everyone knows what that is. In other words, one of the most common questions I get is, is this PHI or what is PHI? So I think something people always come to me and say, this is the biggest one. I'm sitting in the doctor's office and the receptionist or the nurse comes out and calls my name. Is that, is that a HIPAA violation? Or what's the minimum amount of information that needs to be on a piece of paper, let's say, that swings the pendulum from just personal information to personal health information? So uh, that's a great question. Um, let me just go back to your example of sitting in a waiting room when the nurse calls out a name. Does that constitute a HIPAA violation? Um, and your name being yelled in a healthcare facility, um, hopefully just because they need you to go in <laughs> to an appointment, um, that is PHI, but HIPAA has a provision that permits incidental disclosures of PHI, disclosures that are completely unavoidable. There's no way that a healthcare provider could eradicate every shred of PHI in a waiting room 
in order to um, and, and still function. So HIPAA permits, as long as there are other reasonable security measures in place to, to generally protect the bulk of health information, HIPAA allows incidental disclosures like a name being called. And when you stand up to go to your appointment, everybody can see, oh, look, it's Neely Yolen, and she's going in for an appointment here at this physician's office. That does disclose PHI, but it's an inti- incidental disclosure. Um, and so it's permitted under HIPAA. At a bare minimum, for information to be PHI that's protected under HIPAA, it has to be identifiable. Uh, so it has to have a name or a social security number or some identifier with it. And it has to divulge something about the individual's health care. Now, this can be as little as the fact that an individual is a patient of a particular provider. So you might think that a patient list doesn't disclose anything about the health of the people on the list but it certainly does for some types of providers. For example, um, we know that a patient list from MD Anderson Cancer Center is a list of cancer patients. And we know that a list of uh, patients from the Betty Ford Center is a list of patients being treated for substance use disorder. So because in some circumstances, association with a provider can divulge information about your health, HIPAA applies uh, the way it does in order to protect that information. That's really helpful. So, okay, so now that we know what PHI is and um, what people are and aren't supposed to do with it, um, I have to hear about some of your experiences with this PHI disclosures, um, especially inadvertent ones. I know you have some pretty crazy stories. Can you tell us about some of those? Yeah, we, and we always think we've heard the craziest and people manage to outdo themselves. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, a, a good bit of our HIPAA practice involves helping clients when they fail to keep PHI private and secure as they're required to do under HIPAA. And and some of the examples that we see are remarkable. Um, One of the most challenging situations we had was a breach that was caused by a psychiatrist who left paper files full of patient information on the roof of his car and then accidentally drove away, resulted in those papers blowing all over town. Um, This was especially difficult because the files contained extremely sensitive patient information. And the physician wasn't sure how many files he had left on the roof. So even though we were able to collect, we didn't do it. Um, the, the provider was able to collect a good bit of the documents. We were never sure if we had recovered all of them. So it was an extremely um, complicated breach to to manage. And wow. I'm, I'm actually, I just want to, I'm going to interrupt you here. Sure. Does when OCR is enforcing a breach, does it matter how egregious it is in terms of negligence? So do they care if there was a hack versus the provider leaving his medical records on the roof of his car and drives off and it blows away? Um, you know, interestingly, uh, OCR can be more forgiving of human error. Um, you'd you'd be surprised. Uh, I don't know if they would be in this particular situation because of the nature of the information that was involved. This is super sensitive data. So the most sensitive type of data. And and someone just clearly wasn't being careful about that data. Um, OCR can be forgiving when there's a, a human error and they acknowledge that perfect HIPAA compliance is just not possible because human beings are responsible for HIPAA compliance. 
and we all make mistakes. So if they see generally a culture of compliance, efforts to do the right thing, and someone makes a mistake, they they tend to be reasonable. But if you make a mistake, if a provider makes a mistake, and they come and investigate and find out that there is, you know, a poor to non-existent HIPAA compliance program, they are not forgiving at all. They, they get very upset because logically, and I think rightfully, they conclude that the lack of compliance program is the reason for the mistake. Um, and you, you get in a lot more trouble. Very helpful. Okay. Sorry. Going back to your anecdotes. I'd love to, to our examples. Yes. <laughs> unfortunately, there's more. Um, another very difficult situation that we dealt with was a client who had an employee running a criminal identity theft ring out of their organization. And what this uh, employee was doing was stealing patient information in a very clever way, jotting it down on a piece of paper so there was no um, no forensic trail about where this em- employee had gotten information or how. Uh, and then that information was being used, um, it was either being sold to identity theft um, ring participants or used directly by the employee uh, herself who opened up credit cards, fake IDs, and used all of those documents um, for fraudulent transactions. And is the employer responsible for something like that when it's yep. the employee? Okay. The employer owns that, um, which is very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, another client had an employee post a significant amount of PHI on a homework health website for high schoolers uh, because the employee needed help creating a chart for work. Um, and yeah, like I said, you we think we've seen it all. And then somebody does something like this. And that PHI was publicly available on that high school homework help website for two years. And it was discovered by a patient who Google searched uh, his name and landed on the website and said, hey, why is my ER record on this homework help website for high schoolers? Um, and there was a very large number of documents up there. So that was a uh, that was a tricky one. Um, most recently, uh, and really one of the more remarkable set of facts that we've had um, was a client that was expecting a delivery of a hard drive that contained patient information, but instead received a case of live lobsters due to a freight mix-up. Lobsters. Um, lobsters. As in, as in seafood. As in seafood. So somebody had a really bad clam bake. And our client had a data breach. <laughs> Did they have to return the lobsters or they kept them? Uh, they returned them. I mean, my <laughs> advice was keep, I mean, keep the lobsters. Right. What are you going to do? I mean, you want your healthcare information back, but there's no similar law for lobsters. So, <laughs> Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, so let's turn the conversation to where we are today, which is in the middle of a global pandemic. and um. I know we're going to talk about what's changed in just a moment, but I, I'm wondering what existing measures, if any, were already in place that were intended to handle or address a public health emergency like COVID-19? Right. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and there are actually a lot of just everyday HIPAA provisions that facilitate the exchange of health information during the pandemic or any emergency. Um, for example, HIPAA's treatment exception 
very broadly permits healthcare providers to communicate with one another for treatment purposes. Um, in fact, HIPAA was drafted to ensure that it was never a hindrance to patients obtaining necessary treatment. HIPAA also permits healthcare providers to disclose health information to or at the direction of a public health authority. So during the pandemic, when state or federal regulators require testing information for purposes of contact tracing or other public safety measures, HIPAA permits those disclosures. HIPAA also permits disclosures to people who may be at risk of contracting or spreading a disease, um, if that type of disclosure is permissible under state law. It's very important to remember that HIPAA is really only half of every privacy law analysis. States impose their own restrictions on the use and disclosure of health information. And if state law is more stringent, which it often is, um, then state law is going to govern and a disclosure that might be permitted under HIPAA will be impermissible under state law. Um, HIPAA also permits healthcare providers to use their professional judgment to disclose PHI to family or friends who are involved in a patient's care. Now, usually this provision of HIPAA permits the disclosure of PHI to people who are gathered in a patient's hospital room, because um, obviously lots of PHI is disclosed in that situation. However, during the pandemic, that's not what happens because nobody's allowed in the patient's hospital room. However, this provision still applies, so providers can share PHI with individuals who are clearly involved in a patient's care, even if they're not standing in the room. So you have, you know, the people who brought the patient to the provider who, or who will bring the patient home and assist with care on discharge. Those folks uh, are allowed to have access to PHI under HIPAA without any special changes for the pandemic. Hmm. Okay, so we had some things baked in there already. Yep. Um, so where are we now? So there were some key changes that were implemented over the last six months. Can you tell us about those? Yeah, in response to the pandemic, there have been some very significant changes. Um, for example, in March, OCR announced enforcement discretion and the, or, or basically the waiver of HIPAA penalties for HIPAA violations that may occur in connection with the implementation of telehealth services during the pandemic. Now, the goal of this um, policy was to facilitate a pivot from conventional in-person healthcare delivery models to telehealth, which is much safer in the pandemic in, in most cases, or in many cases, I should say. OCR also issued, issued guidance extending the right to make disclosures of PHI at or at the direction of public health uh, and health oversight authorities to business associates. Um, covered entities have always had the right to make these types of disclosures to public health authorities, but business associates only have the authority to use and disclose PHI as permitted by their covered entity customers. This enforcement discretion permits business associates to share information with regulatory authorities when necessary for public health purposes. And another example, in April of this year, OCR announced another enforcement discretion uh, and that it would not impose penalties for HIPAA violations against covered entities or business associates participating in community COVID testing initiatives. So like the telehealth enforcement discretion this decision was to facilitate drive-through mobile or walk-up testing sites um, offering wide-scale COVID testing that, that, you know, has become so important throughout the pandemic. 
Wow. So with OCR having enforcement discretion, I have to know, what's your strategy for counseling healthcare providers and other covered entities about HIPAA compliance? I mean, you've been doing it one way for so many years, and now all of a sudden, it's a different way. I'm sure there's some strategy for making sure that people don't veer too far in one direction or the other. Yeah, it's, it is. A, you're right. It's a big change. And it is difficult as an attorney to do an about face on a lot of um, things that we advise clients to do, for example, when they're implementing a telehealth program. Um, and, and it's hard. Uh, it, it was hard to get used to. We're a little bit more used to it now, but it was difficult to think, you know what, I'm going to tell a client to disregard this piece of HIPAA because right now there's a, a, a greater priority, which is getting this program off the ground so people can be seen remotely. Um, and that really is, uh, you know, the first kind of approach that we're taking, uh, which is a focus on public health and safety, uh, even with all of the guidance that the government has issued and with the various enforcement discretion decisions that have been issued since the start of the emergency. There's still a lot of gray area for providers and others who are dealing with the pandemic and pandemic-related health care and data sharing. And when that answer is not clear, our advice has been to always make the decision that keeps people safe and healthy. So when in doubt, err on the side of patient safety, whether that means, you know, that usually means making a disclosure that we're not entirely sure is permissible, um, you know, in, in the current environment. Even if that ends up being the wrong decision as a technical legal matter, it's going to be a defensible decision. That said, uh, HIPAA is still being enforced and regulated entities have to be diligent about privacy and security for a variety of reasons, the least of which is for their own business because privacy is so critical to healthcare. Um, nobody's going to see a provider that doesn't protect their health information. Um, providers also still regardless of what OCR may do, have compliance with state and federal laws, other federal laws that are still being enforced in the pandemic. So even when we're operating under an enforcement discretion for a particular client arrangement, we try very hard uh, and have tried throughout the pandemic to maintain client focus on privacy and security under all circumstances. Um, because uh, at the end of the day, that it's critical to their business and it's a priority that's not going to change regardless of what happens with the COVID-19 emergency. Well, that makes good sense, practical sense and legal sense to me. But <laughs> Okay, so what do you see happening with HIPAA as we hopefully return to normal? Hopefully. Um, well, for the most part, I would expect that um, we're going to go back to where we used to be for HIPAA purposes. Some provisions, like the ability of business associates to make public health or public health authority disclosures, might remain in place because um, it seems to be an authority that makes a great deal of sense and that more good could come from that authority than harm to patients, even outside of uh, the pandemic. I do expect, though, that when things go back to normal, it's going to be difficult for clients to pivot from pandemic operations. For example, a client who's established a telehealth operation during the pandemic that's going to continue after the pandemic, and we think many of them will, the provider is going to have to go back 
and comply with a variety of HIPAA com, you know, requirements after the fact. For example, they're going to have to enter into business associate agreements that they didn't have to enter into during the pandemic or complete a security risk assessment or, or do other things that are required by HIPAA that you would do before you implement a telehealth um, operation. This is going to be challenging to do after the fact. It's, it's difficult to get people to change the way that they've been operating. Um, and it's probably going to seem funny to do all this for a telehealth operation that has been, you know, humming along for almost a year. Um, but uh, this is why we try to keep clients focused on HIPAA concerns, uh, even when there is enforcement discretion, because at some point, you know, we're pretty confident that that enforcement discretion is going to go away. Thank you. That is very insightful and helpful. Uh, Thank you, Diane. Thank you so much for being here today with me. And that brings us to the end of our show. Thanks for listening to Health Law Diagnosed. If you have a minute and you're so inclined, go to mints.com to subscribe to Mints Insights so you can receive our health law alerts, advisories, blog posts, and more. We'll see you all back here in a few weeks when we'll be talking about racial disparities in healthcare.